1: I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm so happy you could be with us today. It's going to be a great show, partly because you're here and partly because my guest, Diana West, is with us today also. Diana, welcome. Thank you, Marie. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, we are pleased to have you, partly because you are just always a great guest. You are a great woman, and you also written what I hope is going to be a great book and I will be the first one to say I have not actually seen this book yet, although I do expect to get it next week when I am at the conference with with you and with many others i 'm sure i'd just like to tell our listening audience that Diana West is one of the authors of a book called Sweet Sleep Subtitle Nighttime and Naptime Strategies for the Breastfeeding Family. So Diana, I want to start out by helping people to understand that this book is being published by La Leche League. Am I correct?
2: Yes and no. So this is a La Luche League book. You're absolutely right in that response, but it's published by Random House. It's published by ba- uh, Ballantine Books, which is a division of Random House. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. And that's in the U.S. And in the U.K., it's print- published by Pinter and
1: Martin. Okay. All right, so then I think maybe my question is then – la leche league is endorsing or has commissioned the. how, how does yeah, la leche league it's a little finish bit complex
2: they yeah. are the official author so if you think of it that way it's a la leche league book they're the ones with the contract with random house and then i they had uh the four of us the four authors write the book so we don't have the
1: direct contract with random house it's a la leche league book but we are the authors Okay, that clarifies things. So essentially, it would it be fair to say that this will be sort of the La Leche League party line on sleeping? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Absolutely. That's what this we want to know. A, it,
2: it's beyond endorsed. This is a La Leche League book. So every aspect, every concept is La Leche League philosophy and okay. is just um, absolutely coming from La Leche League if you think of it that way. Okay. Yes, that that Uh, makes a lot of sense. um, This is coming from 55 years of experience with breastfeeding and bed-sharing moms. So this book is really a culmination of experience that has really never been put down into written form before. And I think that that's what makes it special. It's the first book about sleep for breastfeeding
1: families. I just want to make sure our listening audience knows that Diana is only 24. So it's not my dreams (laughs) I was thinking boy I hope they don't think that Diana's had 55 years worth of breastfeeding experience
2: (laughs) not not 24 but no I'm talking about La Leche League Uh, this is an organization that's worked with breastfeeding mothers for over 55 years and the information in this book is coming from the culmination of that experience
1: so, Diana, tell us who the other authors are. I know that you got into this interview because you're the director of media relations for La Leche League. Tell us about your other authors. We talked briefly, very briefly, with Linda Smith a couple of weeks ago. She uh, alluded to the fact that, that this book was coming out. But tell us tell us about your co-authors, right. please.
2: Right. So I'm wearing two hats. I'm wearing one hat as uh, the media director, for, director of media relations for La Leche League International, but I'm also one of the authors of the book. So the first author of our book is Diane Wiesinger. She's a La Leche League leader and a lactation consultant, IBCLC. I'm second author. We also have Linda Smith, who's an IBCLC and La Leche League leader, and Teresa Pittman, who's a longtime La Leche League leader in Canada.
1: Wow. So, yeah. the FAB four. four. Yes, most definitely the FAB four. But speaking of fours, I want to go to sevens. because in your book you talk about the safe sleep seven exactly i will i will repeat that for people who say now oh this sounds important what did she just say okay i said the book talks about the safe sleep seven can you help us to get a grip on what those seven things are i absolutely will but
2: in that, I want to give a little bit of background because sure. I think um, it's important for people to understand why we came up with this and why it matters. Okay. You know, as many of us um, can kind of picture back in the olden days, mothers and babies just naturally breastfed and slept together. We didn't have formula. Most people breastfed. And times were about closeness and security, but it was also just sort of practical. Mothers were instinctively protective of their babies. They would check on them and nurse them through the night. They knew just instinctively that the safest place for their baby was next to them most of the time. And that's where most babies did sleep. And most mothers found that their babies weren't crying a whole lot and they were feeding pretty well and and getting a lot of milk. And they were warmer because they were next to their mothers. This was a low-risk bed-sharing environment. Now, there was, of course, historically a lot of concern about something called overlying, which is rolling over on the baby. That typically happens when a mother is not the breastfeeding not the breastfeeding mother, I'm sorry, excuse me, when the person sleeping next to the baby is not breastfeeding, like when it's a nurse or someone else. And I don't mean a medical nurse, I mean one of the baby nurses that are hired to take care of a baby. It also happens when there's been smoking, when the mother smokes prenatally or people are smoking around the baby. It also happens when there's formula, and and that's in modern days. And it also happens very high risk when there's a lot of intoxication. So when we have drugs or alcohol alcohol has historically been the biggest problem then you lose your sensitivity and you do tend to have more risk of rolling over on the baby
1: so So that excuse me let me stop you all of those factors that you just named are all things as related to overlying exactly Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of overlying is that overlying is not the same as SIDS. That's an excellent point,
2: Marie. I'm so glad you brought that out because there's a lot of confusion. A lot yep. of people think that SIDS is overlying, and it's not. What SIDS is, is we don't know what caused this baby to die. Right. This is I when people look problem. at every possible cause, and there's just no obvious reason so we call it SIDS, which stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome.
1: In and, fact, Diana, I have heard people, uh, excuse me, not heard people, yeah. but I have read that if you can identify the cause of death as overlying, then therefore, if you can explain it, then it's not SIDS. That's
2: correct. Because SIDS means we don't know. So there's I think the term, some, I'm sorry, Marie, there's
1: another it, term, confusing, I'm sorry. <laughs> This makes a lot of sense with all of the factors that you have just named as this, 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 and this cause overlying. So, therefore, it seems like if you get rid of those factors, then overlying is less likely to happen. And, by the way, it's different than SIDS anyway. That's exactly right. That's the point. That's one of the biggest
2: points we try to make. Okay. A lot of mothers are really terrified of SIDS. I remember being terrified of SIDS as a new mother. Yes. And yet, statistically, it is phenomenally unlikely. The actual rates are very, very, very low. So really what we're looking at is a culture where we say never sleep with your baby in the same bed. That message gets sent out to mothers all over the place. And the problem is that that is a one-size-fits-all message that's meant to apply to everybody But it's not taking into account that it's a very different level of risk if the mother is breastfeeding, if she's non-smoking, if she's sober, if the baby is on his back, because we know that's another risk, if he's not overdressed, if he's healthy, and if they're on the safe surface. And that leads us to the Safe Sleep 7. So this is a list of seven criteria that are research-based, this is really strong in the research, that if we can assure that the mothers are meeting and the babies are meeting these criteria, then they're in a totally different risk category. And that never bed share message no longer is relevant for them. So this is a way for mothers to decide for themselves if they are low risk and if they can bed share confidently.
1: And that is the Safe Sleep 7. I have to say two things here. First of all, I want to pull out my hair just thinking about this because so many times everybody in the medical community seems to put all babies into the same pot. Yes. And it's just not true. You'd think we would have learned our lessons that breastfed babies do not uh, gain weight the same way that uh, formula-fed babies gain weight, that uh, breastfed babies don't do this formula-fed do babies do that. I mean, we, we got a whole bunch of things. And this is just another one of those things where we have put the breastfed babies in the same pot with the bottle-fed babies. And quite honestly, it's just not the way it works. It's
2: not. And what we also have to keep in mind is that the breastfeeding family, the breastfeeding mother and baby are the norm. Right. Everything else is a change from the norm. So yes. this is a biological system that's worked really well for a long, long, long time. time. Exactly. Yes. And now we've made changes to it because of our culture. Oh, my phone, sorry. Uh, <laughs> made, we've made changes to it because of our culture, but that is not something that is relevant to the normal experience. So we've made a departure, and that changes. Yeah. It.
1: Absolutely. You, you mentioned, too, that breastfeeding mothers will instinctively protect their infants in their sleep. They adopt a cuddle curl position. Tell us about that.
2: Exactly. This is a term that comes from the veterinary uh, world where you've probably seen dogs and kittens curl yep. around their babies uh-huh. as they nurse. Turns out that human mothers do the exact same thing. They automatically go into a position with the elbow up, the knee out, and the baby in that little protected cove. And that is a position where the mother cannot roll over. She physiologically can't do it, and nobody can roll into that space. It protects the baby while he nurses.
1: Formula feeding mothers don't do this. Wow. Wow. I, I'm I'm searching my brain here because I'm thinking that I worked nights as a registered nurse for years, and I have seen a gajillion mothers sleeping at night, and I'm not sure that I ever really noticed that breastfeeding mothers sleep in a different position than formula feeding mothers, but you're telling me, yes, they do.
2: And good research, very excellent studies that have been replicated over and over show it. So wow. we really
1: know this is true. Wow. Wow. I, I'm just... I'm also thinking about my mother who gave birth in 1940 and the nurse came in and just chewed her out because she had the baby in bed with her in the hospital and under the covers, no less. And, you know, the nurse just went ape. So I guess I want our listening audience to understand that all of this didn't just grow up when we started the Back to Sleep campaign. It's nothing new. We've had all of this hype about it for years, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or science-based. It's just a lot of hype. Oh, listen, folks, do not go back, uh, Go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me my, uh, my guest today, Diana West. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their New Angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA by N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and
0: www.amazon.com Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, Come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzo, your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today Diana West, who is the author of Sweet Sleep, Nighttime and Naptime Strategies for Breastfeeding Families. And in the first segment, Diana talked with us a little bit about how breastfeeding families are really different than formula feeding families, both in terms of what happens, the sleep position the mother assumes, the risk factors for the babies, and so forth. So in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about these terms and statistics that people sometimes get kind of jumbled up in their mind. So, Diana, tell us. You mentioned in the first segment that SIDS really is not as prevalent as we might think of. So how many babies do die of SIDS in a year? The current and latest statistic
2: is about 2,000 for one year. So each year, about 2,000 in the U.S. And that is the number of babies who die that we just don't have any idea whatsoever Other babies die of other causes that we can clearly attribute, but those are the ones we just don't know.
1: And I'd just like to say, certainly, 2,000 dead babies is 2,000 dead babies too many. Absolutely. we certainly, without an explanation, therefore, we have to move on to, okay, so what do we do about the rest of the babies? So how many babies die of bed sharing each year? That is the critical question.
2: <laughs> and the answer is we just don't know because bed sharing, it turns out to be a very um, slippery term. Yeah. There's a lot of research that has looked at bed sharing deaths and they have defined bed sharing so broadly as to include sofas sometimes and yeah. baskets. Sometimes they've said a baby was bed sharing when he slept in a bed in the last two weeks So our data is really not very strong, and we just don't have any reliable statistics. When you think about it, what we're really dealing with is um, data that is coming from investigators at death scenes that have no consistent training, no consistent Uh definitions, no understanding of normal breastfeeding and normal baby behavior. And they're also dealing with a horrific situation with grieving parents. They don't want to ask too many questions that are very upsetting to the parents. They don't want to imply blame. So there's a real um, difficulty in drawing any kind of reliable numbers based on the difficulty of getting good data.
1: So basically, when your data isn't solid, then you don't have any solid conclusions. Exactly. Exactly. You know, some years ago, it was when the AAP came out with one of, I think maybe their first statement about, um, I, I, I can't even remember if it was SIDS or SIDS and pacifiers or pacifiers or what, but anyway, I called my mother that evening, who at the time was very elderly. She was well into her late 80s, and I kept talking to her about SIDS, 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 and she kept telling me she didn't understand what I was talking about, and I finally said, crib death, and she said, oh, crib death, oh, honey, for heaven's sakes, why didn't you just say so, and now I know what you're talking about, and I think it's very interesting that in my mother's day, they called it crib death, and I think that when we put the word SIDS on it, somehow, that made it a little, you know, more scientifically sounding, but in reality, people my mother's age saw it as a kid died in the crib. And now we think about it as, well, a kid dies because he's bed sharing or co-sleeping. And so I think it leads me to wanting to, can you sort out all this alphabet soup for us? What is S-I-D-S and what is S-U-I-D and what is S-U-I-D? And then there's Hi. A-S-S-B. <laughs> I'm I, I just going to say, I think I left out a letter there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know,
2: I think I really want to address what you were saying about your mothers. The term came about, and I need to double check this, but I believe it was in the 70s that we came up with the term SIDS. So it does predate your mother's era of being a a mother of young children. And cot death was something that was understood to be different than overlying. It was the baby's alone, so we know it's not overlying, but the baby just died, and we don't know why. So right. that was why it was called cot death. Um, but the term we know what SIDS is now: it's sudden infant death syndrome. SUDI is S U I. I'm sorry, S U D I sudden unexplained death in infancy, there's also SUID, sudden unexpected infant death. That is a broader term. So that encompasses any time a baby dies, really. It could be from overlying. It could be because the baby was hit by a car in a car accident. It could be because the baby had an inborn error of genetic error or error of metabolism. It could be any number of things. All of that is under the broad SUDI umbrella. There's also the term ASSB, which is accidental suffocation and strangulation in bed. That's your overlying. So that's when a baby can, for some reason, is unable to breathe in an adult bed. And that's the term I think most people are actually worried about,
1: but they're calling it SIDS. So wait a minute. The ASSB, they are equating with SIDS or they aren't?
2: Well, I think a lot of mothers, it's, okay, let me go back. Um, When we were working on the book, I actually did a survey, kind of informally, did not realize what I was doing. I just posted on my Facebook page to mothers saying, can you tell me off the top of your head, what are you most worried about? Oh, yeah. That sharing. And I expected, you know, a half dozen responses. I got over 700, Marie. Oh, my word. My (laughs) first experience of going (laughs) viral. And... I actually hired my son to do a, a compilation of all the ex, all the answers and kind of categorize them so I could see them grouped and get the an idea of the prevalence. And it came up came down to three main concerns they had about bed sharing. The first obvious one was overlying. Yep. But ha- more than half of them called it SIDS. They were saying, "I'm yep. worried about SIDS. I'm worried yep. I'm I'm going to roll over my baby and he's going to die of SIDS." Something I agree. The second thing was they were worried about their partners. They were worried that their partners would be jealous or feel usurped or it would affect the marriage in some way.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's one that we see have come up a lot. And the last one was surprising to me. Can you guess what it was, Marie? I'm putting you on the spot.
1: Um, oh, I'm thinking something along the lines of the baby, because I hear this a lot, uh, the baby isn't staying on his back anymore. Well, mothers do worry about that. And with a breastfeeding
2: baby, the baby will go on to his side to nurse, but automatically he goes on to his back and that's fine. Yeah. But the one that they really seemed to worry about, the third leading reason was they were worried about being judged by family or the pediatrician. Oh, yeah. So not wanting to be a bad mother.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true because, you know, people don't really want to tell me that they're doing that. And there was a study some years ago, I think it was in Australia, where what they they asked these women what they were actually doing and then what they were telling their pediatricians. And, of course, those are two different things. And it's because people don't want to tell the pediatrician. And now I can see that as, yeah, that kind of goes along with the don't want to be judged, bad parent. But here's the thing, Diana. You and I have lived long enough. Well, I don't know. I'm only 29. But anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, uh, we have lived long enough to know that when parents go home, they're going to do what they want to do. They do what makes sense. And they do
2: what makes sense at 3 o'clock in the morning when the baby's been crying and nothing is working and you're exhausted. And, oh, my gosh, you've just got to get some sleep. Right. But they don't tell their doctors. So what we have is public health policy that people are not complying with. Here's some interesting statistics. We have found that over three-quarters of breastfeeding mothers do bed share at some point. Yep. And here's another one. 44% 44% of mothers who don't bed share because they're warned away from it go and sleep with the baby on a sofa or recliner or unsafe chair, as if there is a safe chair. So we're driving them from a safe place that they can
1: prepare to an unsafe place. See, here, as just a simple nurse, one of the things that I kind of Deal with whether it's sleep issues or baby issues or anything else. I go on the presumption that people are going to do what they're going to do, no matter what I tell them. So if they're going to do it, that I want them to do it within the range of safety. This really kind
2: of reminds me of safe sex. Um, when yeah, abstinence yeah. messages. We know the research is clear as a bell that saying never, ever, ever have safe sex, say an abstinence message, told to kids in high school really isn't effective because they're going to kind of do it cuz they're hormonally driven but they won't have the information to be safe. So this is a really um clear abstinence only message. When you say never bed share, you're not giving tools for the people who will do it anyway. And Absolutely. that's safe sleep seminar. It's the tool for those who are going to do it anyway. So then can bed sharing really be safe? Oh what a great question. And I know we're heading into a break soon, so maybe that's a question for the next break. Oh, oh
1: sure, sure, sure. We can do that. In other words, you're trying to say that was a loaded question, Marie. Well, it is, and there's a lot to it. So I really do want to take some time with it. So, So what's the difference
2: between bed sharing and co-sleeping? Excellent, excellent. Bed sharing, by our definition, and we really tried to be clear about this because so much research has confused the terms that it's not meaningful to most people. To us, bed sharing means that the mother and the baby are in a bed together. It's a continuous flat surface together. Could be on the floor, for heaven's sakes, but they're next to each other, right up next to each other. Uh-huh. Co-sleeping means that the baby is in the same room, but not necessarily next to the mother. Now, no, he yes. might be in a co-sleeper. He might be in a crib, he might be in a bassinet, but he's not right up next to the mother's body, and that's a very different kind of sleeping situation.
1: I refer to that as in close proximity. Would you agree with that uh, description? Uh, yeah, but I don't find it's it's clear enough to people. That could, to me,
2: close proximity could be in the same room.
1: So, no, you're not sure. okay, all right. Yeah. So I'll yeah. clean up my language a little bit on that, uh, and I just want to point out that bed sharing is not the same as sofa sharing or chair recliner sharing that's uh that's just a huge piece okay look at everybody you cannot go away because this is one of the most interesting topics that has come out and is very contentious especially with the uh recent literature that's been floating away i'm marie biancuso your host for born to be breastfed diana west and i will be right back after this short break
3: New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent pending, and award winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N U A N G E L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and
0: www.amazon.com. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now,
1: back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today my guest, Diana West, who is the author of uh, Sweet Sleep, Nighttime and Nap Time Strategies for Breastfeeding Families, which is a La Leche League book. And we're going to talk a little bit about how La Leche figures into this in just a minute. For those of you who are online or close to being online, I'd just like to remind you that it would be really good if you could visit the folks at Pump and Pal, especially if you're one of those gals that likes to lean forward when you're pumping. Check out these. Uh, breast flanges that are different probably than the ones that you might be using. And just remember, it's a 100% guarantee. If you don't like it, you've got nothing to lose and maybe something to gain. So check it out. And that website is a pump and pal. And the other one that I'd like you to check out is New Angel. If you are interested in looking at Wonderful products for pregnant women, women who have delivered, or babies, or breastfed babies. New Angel, I'll spell that for you, it's N-U-A-N-G-E-L, is the place to visit. And they also are on the web. Check it out. Okay, so Diana, the, before we went, you, uh, <laughs> you were real shy in telling me that this was a loaded question. Yeah. So, so here's, here's the deal. Um, can bed sharing really be safe? I'm so glad we waited for this one because it
2: is a really big point. Um, I think that we live in a society where we have a lot of safety measures. You think about all the things that we do for safety. We're constantly yep. hearing on the news new things we've learned to be safe And I think that leads us to an idea that we can take enough precautions where we really live a risk-free life. And the reality is that that's not true. There's really nothing in life that's 100% safe. Every time we take our babies in a car, we're running a risk. But we have... done Exactly. (laughs) We've done everything we can to help them be safe as much as possible by preparing the car. So what we do is we have a car seat and we have made sure the car seat is installed properly and we have a, car, a safe car with airbags or whatever we have. We're doing everything we can to be prepared in case of an accident, and that's what we see the Safe Sleep Seven as being. This is preparing for to being prepared in case there's a problem. It's childproofing. That's really the way we think about it. Childproofing. That's a concept that came so late we didn't even get it in the book, but it's really exactly what we're getting at. Because when a mother meets the safe sleep seven, the solid research shows that her baby is not at any greater risk for SIDS than if he's in a crib. Her automatic behaviors as a breastfeeding mother and her responsiveness mean that she can't roll over on him. And the other smothering risks are about preparing the bed and those are pretty easy to address. So... This is really based in research. It's a way to know if you're safe or you're not, but most importantly, it's a way to childproof your bed because sleep happens in the middle of the night when nothing else is working. Whether you're breastfeeding or not, whether you meet the safe sleep seven or not, you know that your bed is a safe place and it's at least some place that is prepared just like a seatbelt in a car.
1: I really like this idea of child proofing so to speak because we use that in other situations as well. Right. It might be your electrical outlets or your uh, those thingies that you put over your uh I'm sorry I can't remember the name of them but you know so the kids can't get into your uh, Clorox and your drain yeah, the, the, um, the door latches. yeah the latches yeah um, all of these things are just childproofing and so essentially you're saying there is a way to child proof your bed. It's the first childproofing you might ever do.
2: It's exactly. the first thing to think about. You know, you don't have a baby who's crawling around to worry about the, uh, the cleansers underneath the cabinet. Right. You, you need to make sure that your bed is a safe place just in case. One thing that research has shown, and this was something that surprised me when we were writing the book, there's a greater risk of child death when the bed is not prepared so if the bed has been prepared and the mother is, is at least in the back of her mind, um, she's taken measures to prepare for bed sharing, there's less risk than with accidental bed sharing or bed sharing in an unexpected place.
1: Wow. Wow. So Diana, this is all well and great, but <laughs> your detractors have said that bed sharing is never recommended. So what say you? Well, I think that what we
2: have to really look at is that abstinence-only message. Um, You know, we know that this doesn't match with human behavior. We know that three-quarters of breastfeeding mothers are going to bed share at some point. So what we mean when we have an abstinence-only message that says never do this, we're not giving them the opportunity to prepare.
1: And we're not being very realistic.
2: And we're not. Yeah, exactly. Realism is incredibly important when it comes to human behavior because, as they say in public health, we will have unintended consequences. <laughs> yes. Exactly. If we don't prepare for the reality of living in real life.
1: So, Diana, you started out in the first segment talking about how this book is sort of the party line. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just, you know, it's kind of the party line of what La Leche League is saying about uh, 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 bed sharing. So are there any points of agreement between La Leche League and those who say that mothers and babies should never bed share?
2: Actually, yeah, we all agree that a baby should be in the same room for the first six months. That's a, a basic tenet of the AAP statement about infant sleep because it is shown very clearly by research that babies are at a lower risk for SIDS when they are in the same room with their parents for the first six months. So that means they should not be in a crib down the hall in that gorgeous nursery. They should actually be sleeping at least in the parents' same room. And okay. we also agree that bed sharing is risky in some situations. A mother who's intoxicated is not an appropriate yep. bed partner. Yep. Um, someone who, is, um, who has smoked during pregnancy is at a much, 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 much higher rate of risk. Uh, for bed sharing than a mother who has not and of course a formula feeding mother positions her baby differently on the bed she's more likely to have him up around the pillows he's not going to be in that protected cove as much so all of those points we actually do agree with and this is again where we think that safe sleep seven comes in because it helps parents know whether or not they fit in that realm and there's times when it's not going to be the best decision for them
1: So it sounds to me like you have enumerated for us at least four commonalities that you have with kind of the other side, if you will. Sure. So help me with this. You know, I'm probably showing my age, even though I know that I really want to try to make people believe that I'm 29, but of course I'm not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm thinking that the... um, the Back to Sleep campaign, I'm thinking, came around like 1993 or so because I was at the time a clinical nurse specialist for a very large nursery in a large university based hospital. And I'm thinking that that caught on like pretty fast, pretty pretty strong you know yeah. bam bam oh, yeah. but this never bed share program it does not seem to have caught on so can you explain that
2: sure what's the difference here well back to sleep is really simple it was one thing that parents could do immediately that made a big difference but here's the critical thing it was consistent with most of their everyday living and that's uh, the big difference uh-huh. it didn't uh-huh. pre- a big behavior change. It didn't require a change in belief system. We have many cultures that believe in bed sharing. Uh-huh. And it's a lot harder to not bed share than it is to simply turn a baby on his back. So yep. this is why we really find that the compliance is so low because it doesn't match human behavior.
1: What I see is these parents with babies who are three or four or five months, uh, not not three, but five or five, uh, four or five or six months old and they're still in there every five seconds trying to put the baby on his back. But I try to explain to them that once the baby can roll over on his own, the back to sleep campaign is pretty much over. Well, that's interesting you say that and that's really, really true. And that
2: also reminds me that so many people are worried about bed sharing after that same time frame, the three to four month time frame, where it's no longer an issue. Um, <laughs> it, it, once a baby, you know, overlying, you just can't mush that big of a baby. You can't. Right. Uh, right. Without doing it deliberately. I mean, it's just, you can't. It's hard to do. And SIDS, the rates of SIDS just plummets at that stage. So we really... And let me be
1: quick to say that certainly the baby can die of yes. SIDS after, tell- but the likelihood is... Thank you. Well put. Yes. So just for our listeners, yes, it can happen, but the likelihood is enormously reduced. Exactly. Exactly. So
2: yeah. after about three to four months, it really is okay, and it doesn't even have to be the safe sleep seven. I mean, truly, nobody should be intoxicated next to the baby, but it right. could be right. another person next to the baby. The partner, the grandparent should be an adequate We, have, hmm?
1: we have less than a minute left. I teach a lot of nurses, a lot of lactation consultants, a lot of childbirth educators, et cetera. What are maybe the, the one or two things that come to your mind as the one or two or maybe three things that I need to emphasize uh, before we go to break here to them?
2: Uh, well, I think the most important thing is that it's childproofing, that we really need okay. to make the bed case safe just in case because sleep happens.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Any words to use or to avoid? Well, obviously (laughs) child-proving. Anything else? Well, I think we need to be clear
2: about what's co-sleeping and what's bed sharing. I think we need to be clear about um, the never bed sharing messages really don't apply to every mother. And I think we need to be really clear that breastfeeding mothers very likely will be bed sharing and they don't always tell the truth to their doctor because they're afraid of judgment.
1: Absolutely. Oh, those are three really good points. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Bienkutso. I'm here with Diana West. We will be back after this short break.
3: New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their New Angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N U A N G E L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com.
0: Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso,
3: is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try and she can help you too Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Cuso, and you're listening to Born to be Breastfed. Uh, we have with us today Diana West, who is one of the authors of the new book, Sweet Sleep. Diana, one of the things that I think, talk about not realistic, is that parents very frequently think that their kids are going to sleep through the night, and they, they say that, sleep through the night at a very early age. And the first thing that I do is try to tell them, well, wait, 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 let's talk about the first time that the baby can have a big stretch of sleep, and that's not necessarily through the night. When would you tell parents? That's exactly well, what right. What would you tell parents? How's that? Right.
2: What we know is the research has shown us that babies begin consolidating sleep around three months. So we don't really expect anything earlier. I've heard parents, as soon as the baby comes over the hospital, someone's asking them, is the baby sleeping through the night yet? That would be a problem. It's not a good thing because if a baby is not waking up at night, they are sleeping too deeply and that's a risk for
1: SIDS. Absolutely. And again, one of the things I say is, do you seriously want your baby to sleep through the night let me explain this to you right exactly so I want to take on these I want to take on some of these what abouts here um, what about the mother who absolutely just does not want anything to do with that sharing what would you say to her it's very
2: understandable it's understandable that people are worried about it for some reason they're worried they or they some mothers think that they won't sleep as well Because they arouse too much. They're too aware of the baby's movements and sounds. And what I find is sometimes they need to just give it a week. Because you do acclimate. You do get used to pretty much anything. And it's worth it to give it a week to see if it gets better. But if it really absolutely isn't going to work for them, that's understandable. The baby still needs to be in the same room. But here's the thing. Childproofing. Make the bed safe
1: just in case. Okay. Because you never know. Diana, what I hear you saying there is that you're trying to get past the woman's fear. And that fear might not be reality-based, but she needs to give it a week in order to kind of like make it.
2: If it's fear of bed sharing for overlying or something like that or just, you know, harming the baby, then maybe we can address it by going down through some of the issues, which we've discussed really clearly in the book. If it's that she doesn't think she's going to get enough sleep, give it a week because it might get easier. It really might. Oh, okay. What about babies at daycare? Well, the SIDS peak risk is between one and four months. And in the United States, that's a lot of times when babies are entering into daycare. And daycare has been shown by research, unfortunately, Uh to further increase the risk because babies really aren't meant to have long separations from their mothers, which unfortunately, this is the reality. You know, we, we have mothers who have to go back to work. They have very, very clear needs to go back to work. Unfortunately, this American problem, because we don't have good um, maternity care, really puts babies at a little bit higher risk. What they can do, though, is to talk to the caregivers, make sure that they are having people who are really looking over, watching over the babies during their sleep cycles. So they're not just in a room alone with no attendant, at least during the critical clear time of one to four months. What about pets? Ah, that's interesting. Isn't it funny how people are so used to sleeping with their pets, they don't think twice about it. Nobody worries about rolling over on the dog or the cat, right? (laughs) Right. And we're certainly not breastfeeding them. They're not, you know, they could be all over the bed, but we're not worried about it. But we do worry about a little baby who's often bigger than a cat. The real reality is we don't have any research about it on pets, so it's just common sense. How big is your pet? What's the temperament? Where does your pet normally sleep? A lot of pets uh, don't care one way or another about a baby, but some dogs can be very territorial. Some cats can be territorial. It probably makes sense to keep pets off the bed for the first half of the first year if at all possible sometimes that means you know really kind of uh using some some training techniques and sometimes it might mean actually shutting the animal out of the bed out of the room i'm sorry but it's very individual we need to know what
1: the um, pet can or cannot do in relation to that baby I want to ask you a question that Linda Smith and I addressed when we talked about older babies a few shows ago. And um, one of the things was uh, that parents, and and I've certainly heard this as well, what about sex? Is is the baby ever going to get out of our bed? Are we never going to have sex if the baby's in our bed? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, What do you say about that? Well, i got a
2: few things to say about that. Most (laughs) bed-sharing families have more than one child, so they've got to be figuring it out somehow. (laughs) 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 It isn't the only place to have sex. I mean, frankly, there's a lot of places. Or the baby could be put in a separate place while the parents are intimate in bed. What we often find is that this just isn't a real issue when you when you live the when you live the life of a bed sharing family, you find, you know, the determined mind is gonna find a place. But the real concern is intimacy. It's not sex, it's are we gonna grow apart because the baby is sleeping here with us? And the right. reality is that a lot of bed sharing families find that bed sharing really brings them closer. They all feel so much closer as a family when they go to sleep together and wake up together. It just is part of the human dynamic. We want to be near our loved ones when we sleep.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I'm thinking of—I uh, I mean, if I sleep with my husband, or if I'm 2,500 miles away, which is what I'm going to be next week, without uh, going to bed and, and waking up with the one you love is—is is comforting. It's wonderful. It's whatever. So, in a in a short minute or so, we got just a half a minute. Um, do babies learn to self-soothe themselves eventually?
2: Yes and no. The bottom line okay. on this is: parents, babies learn by being modeled by having the parents soothe them. They learn how to soothe themselves. It's not something they can teach themselves. They need to learn it by kindness to them.
1: Wow, love that answer. So, Diana, tell us, tell us about this book. Tell us. Uh, Where we can find it, tell us about your own website, where we can find you, how we can grow to love you and honor you for all that you've done. Tell us what you got. That's great. Sweetsleepbook.com.
2: Send you right to the La League website where you can learn all about the book and you can order it directly from the La League website. It's also available on Amazon and all major booksellers. It's coming out in on bookshelves and through Amazon and other sellers on the 29th, so 12 days from now. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't, okay. I don't know when this is airing, so I don't know when that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just, okay, that's okay. Um, and it really hopefully will be a wonderful resource for breastfeeding families to help them understand more how they can make nights easier. Because that's what we all want.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Diana, if I lived in your neighborhood, which I don't, where would I find you and your business? Uh, And where would I find you on the web?
2: That's a really good question. I don't have a website. I have many websites. I'm on Facebook. That's the easiest place to find me, Diana West on Facebook.
1: Okay. Well, that is good enough for us. Uh, Thank you, Diana. Always a pleasure to have you here. You're always welcome back. It's never long enough, but we got to close out the show here today, folks. Uh, I would just like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. I'd like to thank Diana West for being here, and I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. Uh, Please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com. We have just overhauled it substantially. We will be handling Diana's book. We probably won't have it up right away, but by the time you hear this as a podcast, we probably will. Remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. So if you're a mom, you want to go to to borntobebreastfed.com. If you're a professional, it is... Uh, www.breastfeedingoutlook.com for your professional education. I'm Marie Biancuso. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.